Pastor Ed Taylor says, don't expect a trouble-free life this side of heaven. In life, you just need to expect conflict and division. In this church, you just need to expect it. You might come to a church and go, well, you know what? Uh, the, 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 coming into a church gathering, I'm not going to experience any difficulties. Any, But we're not in heaven yet. We might get a taste of heaven, but we're not in heaven yet. Here you will experience all of the difficulties of the earth, of being a part of the world. This is amazing grace. We all share the experience of waiting for something for a very long time. Maybe it was waiting to be married, or for the vacation of your dreams to finally arrive. Or maybe more recently, for a mandate or quarantine to be lifted. But imagine waiting some 25 years for the promise of a child to finally be fulfilled. That's the place Abraham and Sarah were in, and we'll be encouraged by their story today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor heads back to Hebrews chapter 11 on this Tuesday. So here, there, on the radio, online, take your Bible out. Let's open them to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 11 in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Sarah and Abraham Waited on God. By Faith, Sarah and Abraham Waited on God. We learned last time that Abraham is one of the greatest examples of faith in the Bible. The three major world religions, I could say two religions and the, the true relationship with Jesus Christ, pay great respect to Abraham. And be, why? Because he believed against all odds and endured in his faith. He possessed an obedient, believing, persevering faith. And I think if Abraham, Abraham teaches us anything, he teaches us that we must all have a personal relationship with God. Today, a personal relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, you think of Abraham living his life as a pagan in the middle of the, uh, of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And God, the Bible says, spoke to him. And he heard. There was some kind of connection with Abraham and God already to be able to discern and recognize the voice of God. Not only to discern and recognize the voice of God, but to act upon it with his entire life. And Abraham had a personal relationship with God. And it's important for us to recognize our relationship is not with a church and it's not with a pastor and it's not with a movement and it's not with a denomination. It's not because of our parents or our grandparents. We all have to have a personal relationship with God. It's not any other way. The only way of salvation is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Abraham, remember, was called from a very safe and comfortable place. His life was disrupted by the voice of God. And here we are living in a time where our lives are being disrupted by circumstances. Our lives are being severely disrupted. And when our lives are disrupted, it is a call from God for us to respond in faith. That we might trust God over the things that we don't control. And if there's anything that Abraham learned and is anything that we're learning is that so much is outside of our control. 
So what do we do when things are outside of our control? We listen closely for the voice of God and obey him. That's how faith is lived out. Faith without works is dead. And so the response for us is to match our faith with corresponding works like Abraham did. And today, we meet his wife. And I want to suggest to you an important part of the character of Sarah that isn't really mentioned in, verse, in chapter 11. Let's read it through first in verse 11. And then I want to reveal something in it, the depth of Sarah here that may or may not be seen so readily. Notice in verse 11 of Hebrews 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Now, let me just fill you in. Past the age, we know how old she was. She was 90 years old when she had her baby, Isaac. 90, not 19, not 29, 90. Can you imagine having a kid at 90 years old? There's a word for that. It's called impossible. It's impossible. This is an impossibility that was matched by faith because it was promised by God. And that's the same way it works with us today. There's an impossibility that's matched with the promise of God and our faith to believe that promise no matter what we see. And there was a long time before the promise came. But at 90 years old, not only was it like a practical, like not only was it a practical impossibility, but she literally did not have what it took inside of her to conceive a child. It was God that did the work inside her womb. She was 90. Do you get that number? 90. And notice, the faith was based on, at the end of verse 11, she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born many of the stars of the sky and the multitude. Innumerable is the sand which is by the seashore. I don't know if you've ever, maybe at the reservoir, but you've been to the beach, you get just a, just get a palm full of sand, just a palm, and try to count each of the grains. You're going to lose count pretty quickly. It's all going to move. It's going to shift. And just trying to count the, sea, the, the, the grains in your own little palm. But can you imagine just looking up and down the beach thinking, man, my descendants are going to be more than just this little beach or every beach everywhere around the world. This was a monumental promise that we're going to get to in a moment in Genesis. But this one man, because of the faith of Sarah, he connects the promise of God to Abraham's descendants to the faith of Sarah. She's a very important part of God's will for, for you and for me. You could say today that you and I are followers of Jesus Christ because of the faith of Sarah. I know Abraham gets a lot of attention, but Sarah in the shadows had just as much faith. And together, they are finding themselves following God. So Sarah, it says, because of her faith, she has a baby. Then the promise is fulfilled. And then there's a little parenthesis in verse 13 where it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Abraham and Sarah never saw this. They saw Isaac, but they didn't see the, the fulfillment of all the descendants. Uh, and it's still happening today. They didn't get to see it, but notice, not having, but having seen them afar off with eyes of faith, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have op had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Then jump back to verse 10. Abraham waited for that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is a fascinating thing. And, you know, with Abraham, we can kind of get the sense that he followed God because he heard God's voice, and he says, okay, God, I'm ready to go. But I want you to consider that Sarah did not get a heavenly visitation by God in that original call. It came to Abraham. Abraham's the one that heard the voice, and he's the one that left. Sarah was in a different place. Sarah had to believe God, and she exercised that by also believing her husband. That's pretty huge. She had to trust that God was speaking to her husband. And, And that speaks to depth of integrity because there are times in our lives where God will bring us to a place in our marriage, in our friendships, in our relationships, in our church family, where we have to place our trust in someone that they are truly hearing from God. And I have to say that a lot of marriages are upside down today. A lot of ladies specifically, let's speak of it in the context of Sarah here. A lot of women, a lot of wives today have a hard time trusting their husbands. And because they're having a hard time trusting their husbands, they have a hard time trusting the Lord. Or you could put it this way, they have a hard time trusting God. And so therefore they have a hard time trusting their husbands. Hey, let's face it. Many times it's because a husband is not leading the home as God has instructed you. You are not being the man, the godly spiritual man of your home. And so you make it harder for your wives to trust you and for your wives to trust God because of what you've heard or what you've received. You make it harder. And it's not exclusive. We're taking the wives to the husbands here because that's the context. But it's also the other way around. A lot of division in our homes, a lot of division in our friendships, a lot of division in the church has to do with not being able to trust God enough to trust the people in our lives. To have that confirmation of the Holy Spirit, that my spirit bears witness with his spirit, that the direction that a pastor's taking, a direction that a leader's taking, or in this case, this is monumental. This is a life-altering decision that's being made. And Sarah not only trusted God, but she trusted her husband. And that encourages me, and it should encourage you. It's very possible for you to be able to trust God enough to trust your spouse, to trust your friends, to move forward in obedience to the Lord. Let's go back to Genesis for a moment. Genesis chapter 13. Let's look at this unfolding of the promise, and then let's find where Sarah comes in where Hebrews 11, 11 addresses directly. In Genesis 13, we have the episode between Abram and his nephew Lot as they're heading out, wandering around. And I want to give you the highlights of it instead of reading it straight through. But you'll notice as in verse 1, it says, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with them, they started heading to the south. They build an altar, they're they're moving through, they have a lot of livestock, it says, and then you jump to verse 5, Lot also, who went with Abram, Abram, he had a lot of flocks and herds and tents. They were both very prosperous. And in verse 6 it says, the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. 
Now, this is a neat encouragement just for a moment because sometimes people associate faith with, well, you know, I just have to sell everything and I've got to walk barefoot through Aurora and Denver the rest of my life to preaching the gospel if I'm going to be that man and that woman of faith. But this is an example of Abram and Lot. And you know that Lot had struggles in his faith right now in his relationship, because he, instead of, instead of yielding, as we'll see in a moment, to Abram, he chooses for himself, and he makes a big, big, big mistake for his family that he's going to pay for the rest of his life. Still a man of faith, still a man that loves God, but made a lot of mistakes that he's not going to recover from. But these are two men that were men full of faith, and God blessed them by grace with a lot of possessions and a lot of money. Not everybody has that, but some people do. And just because you have a lot doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It's just a temptation, isn't it? To trust in what you have and instead of trusting in the Lord. And it's just a temptation. But they have every, it's, a life of faith doesn't mean God won't trust you with stuff. But if God does trust you with stuff, if he does trust you with a lot of money, if he does trust you with a lot of possessions, make sure that they, you realize they belong to him and are to be used for him, for his glory. It's all his stuff anyway. We just have it on loan. It doesn't belong to us. God owns everything. So check this out. It says now in verse 7, we know in 6, the land's not able to support them. And then it said verse 7, there was strife. You might want to mark that word, strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. So the enemies are in the land. Warfare is up ahead. Difficulties all around them. And what happens? They're, the people that work for them are starting to argue among, among one another. And there's strife. And that strife between the people are going to come into Lot and Abram's life. As you notice here in the very next verse. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me. And between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. So I want to pause here for a moment and I want to speak to this. Because you need to understand something. Strife with other people is a, par a normal part of life. Strife with other people is a normal part of life. It is a normal part of life for the Christian, for the believer. I wouldn't be surprised if you watching online, listening on the radio, those that might be here, that you haven't had strife with someone in this church. That there may not have been some issue of strife. It is normal and common. It's unfortunate. In my life, I'd like less of it. But there's always strife in our lives. And I don't know if you've noticed in Abram and Lot's issue... This is how strife often happens. You've got person A and you've got person B and they're getting along just fine until person C, a mutual friend or a mutual acquaintance, they get start up something. And now if you look at some of the strife you're in, most of your strife actually isn't with the other person. It's because of a third person. It's somebody else. And let me, let me illustrate it further. This happens a lot in families where you've got parents that are just going along, enjoying life, yay, 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 and then their kid does something. And when their kids does something, husband wants, dad wants to do one thing, wife wants to do another thing, and now what happens? Strife between parents. It was the kid that did it, but now there's strife. No, I want to do this. No, she, we should do this. No, you're too harsh. No, you're too kind. And before you know it, before you know it, the kid's getting away with whatever he did, and you're arguing for the next week, and one of you most likely the guy sleeping on the couch. There you are. And what happened? And it doesn't have to be a little kiddo. I, I kind of point to a little kiddo. It could be your adult kids causing strife. And it's actually not between you two. It's because of a third party. 
You say, Ed, how do you know so much about that? Well, that's how I grew up. I don't know. I wasn't, you know, I didn't get saved till later in life. I don't know how I figured this out. I really don't. But I do know as a very young age, I figured out as a kid, because I was a rotten kid to begin with, and I figured out that I could get my parents to disagree about me. And if I could get them fighting, I would get away with everything. And I did pretty much most of my life, which got me in more trouble and more trouble. And I, I, I felt I had to apologize to my parents after I got saved, as I finally recognized how much dissension I caused in their marriage. It was horrible. And if you look at your own life, strife is usually because of a third party. That's why the Bible says if you've been offended by someone in Matthew 18, you're to go to him and him alone and work it out. Talk about it. You, you, you're not to talk, you're, you're to talk to the person, you're not to talk about the person, and God can use that to resolve, especially in your marriages. Strife is a part of life. And let me just say this, in Abram's life, because if you see, Lot, Abram says, hey, look, we don't want any strife. In verse 9, the whole land's before you. Just choose something. You choose, and I'll choose the opposite. Just we need to separate, and, and you choose first, Lot. Now, Lot, he chooses. He chooses the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to ruin his family. It's going to ruin his legacy. It's going to ruin his effectiveness. And yet, Abram did, just said, okay, you choose, and I'll choose the other way. We, we can't have this anymore. And I want to add one more thing before we move on. And that is sometimes God uses the strife in your life to get your attention. To, to cause you to cry out in prayer. And sometimes God uses strife to, to cause humility and brokenness in your life. Other times God uses strife to remove someone out of your life. You see, in order to, for Abram to receive the promise we're going to read in a moment... He needed to have Lot removed from his life. It, that had to happen first. That's why we started. You go, Ed, where's this with Sarah and Abram? We're talking all about Lot. Well, I want to show you something. I want you to realize this. Sometimes there has to be a removal of someone out of our lives before we're able to move forward in faith. And God uses strife here to separate. It doesn't have, it's not permanent. It's not a permanent separation because when Lot gets in trouble, Abram's going to go save him. So it's not permanent, but in order, sometimes in our lives, we have to let go in order to lay hold of. We need to let go of. You know, in this case, Lot is, he loves the world more than he loves God, and it's affecting Abram. It's causing strife. Sometimes it's a, just a believer that just really doesn't, they, they love the world more than they love you. They love the world more than they love God. And God says, look, I'm going to use strife to separate you for a season, I'm going to use strife to get you to myself. Because the Bible tells us to separate ourselves. But I'm telling you, most of the time we don't like making that decision. Most of the time we don't want to make that decision. So what will God do? He'll use circumstances. He'll use strife to make that decision for us. Could be that, it, that it's not maybe a believer that's kind of backslidden that's affecting you. It could be an unbeliever. And God's using strife to get your attention and separate you for a season. Oh, it's not that you shouldn't have any unbelieving friends and pull yourself out of the world. Absolutely not. We're building bridges to a lost world. But in those close, tight relationships, God could be using strife to separate you from people so that you can hear and enjoy the blessings of God and receive fresh new promises so you can move forward by faith. Remember, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. In 2 Corinthians 6, 17, it says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And there might be people in your life right now that are hurting you, not helping you. Taking, but not giving. Draining, but not developing. And they're sapping you of your spiritual strength and effectiveness. Those that don't encourage you, but discourage you. Those that don't help you, but tear you down. They don't build you up, but cut you out. That you need to separate from them so you can hear the voice of the Lord. Because that's exactly what happens in verse 14. It says, The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from this place where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. And all the land that you see I'll give to you and your descendants forever. By the way, the descendants that are more than the sand of the seashore. I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So if a man could number the dust, then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I'll give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent, went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. There needed to be this separation before the promise came. And in, in life, you just need to expect conflict and division. In this church, you just need to expect it. You might come to a church and go, well, you know what? Uh, the, 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 coming into a church gathering, I'm not going to experience any difficulties. Any, But we're not in heaven yet. We might get a taste of heaven, but we're not in heaven yet. Here you will experience all of the difficulties of the earth, of being a part of the world. This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Pastor Ed, as you recalled Sarah and Abraham's experience of being in the waiting room, I was wondering if you could share a personal story of having to wait on the Lord. Perhaps it would encourage our listeners even more. Well, Larry, I think that in the believer's life, the longer you're walking with the Lord, the more waiting stories uh, that you have. And, you know, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord right now, eight plus years. Uh, and, you know, it is a super challenging situation, especially when things are outside of your control. But really what, what it amounts to is an invitation to trust God in my present circumstances uh, if we focus our waiting on God answering the way that we want, then we are not going to recognize that God's will for us is the way it is now. And the way it is now is designed to create a deeper faith and dependence in my life and in yours. I can't help but think of Paul when he is crying out to the Lord to remove the thorn that was in his side. The, the difficult situation. And you'll remember that God's answer to that was no. And that was the answer. No, Paul, I'm not taking it away from you. Uh, you're going to keep it. And while you keep it, you're going to learn more about me. And I think that that's where we are. If we put all our hopes and our circumstances changing, rather than our hope just being in the Lord and his faithfulness, we'll be discouraged. And so I, I don't want to share the details of the situation and a few others, but I can tell you this, God is faithful. He is not surprised by the situations we're waiting upon, that you're waiting upon. He's not shocked, but he is developing in us a deeper faith. 
And even through the pain, faith is a good thing. Hey, thanks again, Ed. Especially during the pandemic, depression and anxiety had been on the rise. And maybe that's something you or someone you know has been dealing with. We want to help you by sending you an insightful book called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. Author Edward Welch compassionately addresses the complex nature of depression, applying the rich treasures found in the Bible. There is a way out of the darkness, and we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order this and many other resources through our e-store at calvaryco.store. If you'd just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at aboundinggraceradio.com. There's much more to come in Hebrews, and we'll cover some more ground tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.